This is the Books Podcast presented by Tim Haig. Postmasters were seen as opportunists and potential thieves, weak spots in the system. Post Office was the alleged victim of a crime, the investigator and the prosecutor. It was engaged in a corporate cover-up. I ask you, gentlemen of the jury, is this the kind of book you'd like your wives and servants to read? I'm a bit of a connoisseur of uh, books about scandals and I have to say that the great post office scandal by the award-winning journalist Nick Wallace is an absolute masterclass. It's a perfect example of the genre. It's clear, it's passionate, it's uh, detailed and I think it's important. I'm delighted that uh, Nick is joining us on Book Podcast. Nick, thank you for having us. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for having me on your excellent podcast. The... uh, when I've mentioned this book to people that I was reading it, um, the invariable response has been, oh gosh, yes, that was terrible. So there's wide recognition of the issue, but we'd, we'd better adumbrate what it is we're talking about, what happened, and just sure. give a, a sort of, if you can do a, a quick introduction, and then we'll talk about the what, the uh, how, and very much the why of yes. these things. Okay, well, in the mid-90s, the government decided to automate the post office by bringing in an IT system, which it tended for under a £1 billion uh, PFI contract. And Fujitsu, despite coming bottom in eight out of the 11 scoring criteria to supply the IT system... Were they cheaper? Won the contract, yes. They shouldered all the commercial risk. And the clock was ticking from the moment the contract was signed, so they were uh, under incentive to get the system out into the post office estate as quickly as possible. And the post office estate in those days was around six to 800 crown post offices, which were directly owned by the post office, and around 18,000, 19,000 branch post offices. It was described as the largest non-military IT system in Europe when it was rolled out, and it didn't work. It created holes in postmasters' accounts. And the way that the relationship between the post office and the, uh, their sub-postmasters is structured is that postmasters are small business owners and they are entirely responsible for the public money that comes into their post office branch and goes out. So they are legally responsible for their own branch accounts. But the IT system took the control of their branch accounts out of their hands. You had what's a combined what's known as a combined EPOS and accounting system. So every single transaction was entered into this Horizon system. And then at the end of the week, the Horizon system would total the accounts. And post office accounting is very, very difficult because they have a huge number of product lines, far more than a bank. And the network was far bigger than any other bank or supermarket network. And and the software was just not good enough. It didn't work. It had holes in it. We have to go back to that contract between the the, the post office and sub postmasters, and we're going to call them all sub postmasters, even though many many of them are women. But that that's the the rubric under the, which they. But that contract, uh, it, it it sounds fair enough. You know, you've got all this money, you're responsible for it. It wasn't as simple as that. What it's a very unusual contract, um, and it 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 had all these peripheral aspects. Which, like, if if you bought a a post or a sub post office, you probably bought uh, a business, a, a retail business, along with it, and sank all your savings into it, so that your entire life was bound up in that. And the post office had summary powers if they were unhappy with you. Uh, uh, tell me about that contract a little bit, because I think it's it's really crucial to, to yeah. the story we're telling. 
a lot of people wanted to have a post office because it would be a great way to augment their retail business in terms of increased footfall. In those days, back in the early 2000s, it came with a salary as well. There was a stipend for being a sub-postmaster. And in those days, you had to pay the post office and the outgoing sub-postmaster a fee for their business and for taking on the role. Although the gift of sub-postmaster uh, was entirely in the post office's hands. So once you'd agreed a deal with the outgoing sub-postmaster, you then had to apply to the post office to become a sub-postmaster. And you're right, the post office, under the terms of its contract, could uh, summarily suspend any sub-postmaster without reason and without pay, and they could terminate that contract without giving a reason, with only three months' notice. And you had a number of sub-postmasters who'd sunk their entire nest egg, their life savings, into what for many would be their final job before retirement. And yet the asymmetry of power it, 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 between the post office and the postmaster was written into this 100-plus page document, which it appears many sub-postmasters were never even given when they signed on to the job. Now, you might consider that to be a lack of due diligence on the part of the sub-postmaster, but you could say anyone who signs up to any app on the internet without reading the terms and conditions. And of course the post office was this hugely respected institution. Trusted, trusted. 1660. That was the point. Was, yeah, yeah. I, I read from your book. In 1660 it was established yeah. and fantastically trusted. And of course up to Horizon, which was this uh, uh, computer system, um, it actually worked pretty well. The, 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 you know, if, if, if you were a pub sub postmaster and there was a shortfall, you could look back through your accounts and go, hmm, my employees have stolen from me. I've made a mistake here or there. Um, I, 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 I've <laughs> stolen the money and gone on holiday. But you'd be able to do an audit. Yes. And the big thing about Horizon, uh, well, one of the many big things, is that uh, sub postmasters could do no kind of audit on it. They, they could look back at their transactions over a limited period of time. Uh, but the only way they could do any printouts was by using the three and a half inch till roll, uh, which processed receipts for, for customers. And the information that it gave them as to what had been going on uh, in relation to its transactions over any given period was simply not strong enough for people who did know their way around the system uh, how to interrogate it properly. And that's how one of the sort of key heroes of the book and the key heroes of the Justice for Sub-Postmasters Alliance came to blows with the post office because he knew how EPOS systems worked. He had worked on developing them in his previous life before he took on a post office. And he said to them, give me the tools to interrogate this system properly and I will find out where this missing money is because at the moment I think it's the system. And the post office simply refused to help its sub-postmasters who were having problems. Their attitude was, you have holes in your accounts, you have to make them good. If you don't, you will be eventually suspended and if the sums are large enough, we will take you to court and prosecute you for criminal offences. One of the strengths of the books is that you, sell, you tell the stories of actually a couple of dozen of these postmasters and mistresses. And, uh, um, and, and it, it's absolutely terrifying because these people could have been uh, you or me. I mean, if you had not become um, a, you know, a, a journalist, if I was not, uh, I don't know, a billionaire philanthropist and international man of mystery, it, 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 it's you or me who are in this sort of Kafka, you, you reference Kafka. It's, it's, it's a Kafka-esque situation. Um, and it, it reminded me of, of, you know, the Cultural Revolution in China where you had no right of redress. You were just the subject of this appalling process. So I need to ask you how many people this affected uh, how different that was from the pre-Horizon time, and what the post office did to them. 
Well, the numbers affected go into the thousands. There were more than 700 people who were criminally convicted that the post office now accepts were convicted on the basis of Horizon evidence, which the post office also now accepts was unsafe. But many more thousands of people found themselves having to put money into black holes in their accounts that they couldn't properly uh, understand why it had gone missing. And many more were uh, suspended, uh, terminated, had the, the shame of the community sort of cast upon them and, and, and whispers behind their back. And they were caught in a bind because you, if you or I were faced with a situation like this, you might say, well, why not just shut the branch and refuse to do any more trading until uh, the post office auditors or IT people came in and had a look at things and fixed things. If you shut your branch, you're in breach of your contract. Again, another Again. <laughs> provision of this this uh, contract of, of any unequal power. And, and also, a lot of sub-postmasters were very, very highly community-minded people, and they realised that if they shut their branch, then Mrs. Miggins wasn't going to get her pension payments, and that was going to cause her stress and anxiety. And so they tried to stay open whilst finding a solution to all this. Listening to the post office telling them that they were the only ones having problems with Horizon. That's one of the things, and we're going to talk a lot more about that, um, how the post office approached uh, the... But yes, everybody was told nobody else has a problem with Horizon. Which, so which had an isolating effect on them, because don't forget, sub-postmasters are the only people in any given community with that job. And back in the early 2000s, before social media or anything, they were the ones who were responsible for this IT system. They had no understanding of what other sub-postmasters were going through because they were so far removed from their community. And the union, the National Federation of Sub-Postmasters, had adopted this view that it was essential for Horizon to succeed in order to maintain the value of the network and keep business coming sub-postmasters' way. So it refused to take up cudgels against the post office when its members were telling them that they were having inexplicable problems with that, the system. The, the National Federation was supposed to be, as it were, the trades union of the sub-postmasters, but it was wholly a creature of the post office. Well, not, not initially. It was... Um, now, the way of explaining it is that it was originally a, a, a trade association and was formed in opposition to the terrible pay that, that sub-postmasters got in the Victorian era. It officially became a trade union uh, in the 20th century, and it was a, a membership subscription organization. But throughout that period of time, they still refused to represent the most desperate members who were being chased by the post office and prosecuted for these phantom and imaginary, well, not imaginary losses, paper losses, which the post office decided they were criminally liable for. And it was only when they were thrown out of the Trades Union Congress that the, the, the union became a member association wholly funded by the post office. But this was actually after all the damage had been done uh, with the prosecutions. And the post and the NFSP was entirely supine. But what, yeah, the, the, the question is always going to be why. Why was the NSF um, the NFSP not on the side of the sub-postmasters. It was their raison d'etre. So when Horizon came in, the post office's business model was falling. The government was trying to uh, take uh, the amount of cash it was paying over the counters to pensioners and benefits claimants through a system whereby they would receive them direct to their accounts. Now, that was disastrous for post offices because, of course, they rely on the footfall of people coming in on a daily basis. And if their biggest client, the government, isn't going to be putting uh, large chunks of money the post office's way, they had to look for other business models. And Horizon was seen as the big bang or the silver bullet, the answer to all their problems, because then with this network computerized system, they could offer things like bill payments. They could offer banking through the post office. But what that required was clients 
like, let's say, uh, the, the NSNI, agreeing to uh, work with the Horizon system in order to automate their processes that could then be delivered over the post office counter. Insurance, bureau de change, etc., etc., travel, uh, travel insurance, and travel, and even holidays. And if for any reason those clients thought that the Horizon system wasn't working, then they'd run a mile from going into business with the post office. So the post office had to present this idea that Horizon was absolutely faultless and the Rolls Royce of IT systems. And the NFSP, believing that it was in its members' interests to follow that same path, took a policy decision to essentially throw its individual members under the bus uh, in order to maintain the facade that Horizon was a properly functioning, useful bit of kit. But this gets us right into the heart of uh, the book and the most interesting aspects of it, which is that um, everybody involved in Horizon at Fujitsu, who have still never been held to account for it, knew that it was a total uh, barrow of rubbish. Um, did they not? Well... We spoke to a whistleblower who came to light um, in 2014, 2015, who worked at Fujitsu um, between 2001 and 2004. So Horizon had been rolled out in 2000. He was a member of a team of 30 in a secure floor uh, of the Fujitsu headquarters in Bracknell, working 24-7 to keep Horizon on the road. And if that meant fixing things quick and dirty and sometimes not telling the post office about it. I was going to ask about that. That's did what they it tell, took. Did they, because, and of course they didn't tell the post well, office Well, sometimes they had a contract with the post office. Exactly, and there would be service level they, agreements which would trigger fines. If the, yeah, it, But sometimes penalties. Horizon would fall over and it was unmistakable that something had gone wrong, in which case fines would be triggered, the post office heat would be on it. But if individual complaints were coming through from sub-postmasters via the Horizon helpline, which was managed at the top level by Fujitsu, the post office didn't have any daylight on this, and Fujitsu could understand a number of prob uh, problems within the network were surfacing and try and deal with them on the so fly. So the post office wasn't getting the feedback from uh, sub-postmasters uh, calling up to say, I've got a problem, uh, can you help with them? <sighs> Well, yes and no, because contract managers and area managers would also be aware that individual sub-postmasters were, were, were flagging problems to them. And interestingly, when Second Sight went into Fujitsu, Second Sight are the independent investigators called in by the post office and backbench MPs and the Justice for Sub-Postmasters Alliance in 2012. And they went into Fujitsu and they found 20 people there who were working for the post office. And they said that no one in the post office seemed to know what these people actually did or who they reported to. So there was visibility at a reasonably high management level of the things that were going wrong with Horizon, especially when they became acute problems. Um, but there was also the little tiny problems, which may have left postmasters out of pocket to 10, 20, uh, 200, 500, 2,000 pounds, that were fixed on the fly by Fujitsu engineers without alerting the post office. Because as as I said, the, that any service delay could trigger fines. And you, you ended up with this really toxic environment where all the business risk was shouldered by the individual sub-postmasters. Fujitsu had a vested interest in telling the post office, its client, that their system was working. And the post office knew that to try and get Fujitsu to investigate its own problems or to get information out of Fujitsu would cost it money. So it was far easier to go to the postmaster and say, there's a hole in your accounts, you pay up or you get sacked. It was, but the, the, the people doing that must have known. Well, they, they certainly knew that the, uh, the apparent uh, fraud was 
four times greater than it had been before Horizon had been brought Yes, but in. they saw this. They saw Horizon as the ultimate window into sort of postmaster branches. Up until then, they had no visibility of what was happening to the sometimes hundreds of thousands of pounds mm. of uh, taxpayers' cash, public money, that was going into a postmaster's branch. Because once they had deposited cash lump sums, it was entirely down to the postmaster to account for it. And there were no uh, requirement for any CCTV cameras. And so the money goes in, the money comes out, the postmaster um, provides their accounts. Now, historically and culturally, um, postmasters have never been trusted by the post office. They, they were always seen as opportunists and potential thieves, weak spots in the system. So Horizon arrives and suddenly all the accounting is visible. And what the post office sees is the window into this increased, uh, not increased amount of fraud, but suddenly they're seeing all this fraud that they knew was happening, but now they have the evidence for. No one questioned whether or not this sudden increase in, in fraudulent activity may have been due to errors in the system. It was just, oh, wow, now we're seeing where all these holes in the accounts are. We can go and interrogate and, and prosecute Johnny Postmaster uh, for, the, for, the, for the, the evidence that we see before our eyes provided by this computer system. Yeah, so the Postmaster comes back and, and says, look, I've got a problem. And then I, I want you to tell me how uh, the post office dealt with them because they were draconian, vengeful. They were savage with uh, their postmasters in, in ways that, that defy belief. Well, yeah, I mean, again, this proximity to state power and one of the oldest institutions in the country um, fostered a belief that they were guardians of the public good, uh, certainly guardians of, of public money. And there was their way of doing things, and that was the right way of doing things. Added to this, they had an investigations unit, which is older than the police force. It, it prides itself on being the oldest registered uh, investigations force in the world. And a punitive, culturally snobbish attitude towards the potential risks, which were sub-postmasters. And a policy not to question the Horizon system at all. They simply weren't trained to investigate whether or not the IT was the source of these accounting problems. And so they would go in heavy-handed, interrogate these poor sub-postmasters, de demanding um, knowledge of where this supposedly missing money had gone. And if the sub-postmaster couldn't demonstrate that the IT system wasn't working properly, uh, then they would essentially be turfed out on, the, on their backsides, losing their business investment and their reputations in a heartbeat. I mean, you have people who are suspended over four-figure discrepancies who never set foot in a post office again and lost everything. It's more about the investigation service of the post office as well. I didn't realise they were able to bring criminal prosecutions um, themselves directly to court without reference to the Crown Prosecution Service. Um, and, and the CPS might have looked at some of these and gone, there's something dodgy here. Whereas the post office people were able to say, no, nope, we're going to push this um, you know, to yeah, the, they, they, had a, they had a fast track to the criminal courts. And whatever you think of the police and the CPS, if I reported a crime, the police as an independent body would hopefully look into it and make a decision as to whether a crime had been committed and whether anyone needed to be pursued to answer for it. And then if they got as far as charging someone, uh, then the Crown, or, or if they got as far as arresting someone and, and uh, preparing a case against them, then the Crown Prosecution Service, another independent body, would oversee it and decide whether or not it was in the public interest to take it to the criminal courts. 
the post office were able to bypass that entirely by having its own criminal prosecution department stuffed with lawyers and its own investigations team. And what you what that created, therefore, was a situation where the post office was the alleged victim of a crime, the investigator of the alleged crime, and the prosecutor of the alleged crime, which puts it in an immensely privileged position and a compromised one because there was a clear conflict of interest in there. And in my mind, there's absolutely no doubt that the post office went about criminally prosecuting hundreds of people because, because it would benefit its business to do so, not because it was in the interests of justice. So you're a sub-postmaster. You've got £10,000 uh, adrift on your figures. Uh, you're using Horizon. What, what are your options when you come across this apparent discrepancy? Well, in the old days, you could, although you were never allowed to, Although it was against policy, you could roll over uh, these uh, amounts uh, or put them in suspense. Uh, the post office was finding so many postmasters was putting were putting disputed amounts into suspense. They got rid of that option. That that was their solution because there was the a dispute problem. button originally, and they took that away. They took it out, so that the post post uh, sub postmaster didn't have an option of saying there's something funny going on here. So what what you then were left with was the opportunity to either pay up immediately or out of your own or, pocket, yeah, or settle centrally. Now settle centrally is a very strange phrase, but it was a button on the horizon terminal. What it meant was by pressing this button, I accept responsibility for this accounting deficit, and I will. Um, make arrangements with the post office in order to provide it. The post office tried to argue in court in 2018 that the Settle Centrally button was the method of putting uh, a, a sum into dispute. But by pressing it, the postmaster was making themselves legally accountable, and that was the hook on which the post office then used uh, to prosecute them for, for legal responsibility for these accounting. debts. False accounting. They called it false accounting. Well, false accounting often happened when a sub-postmaster who may have exhausted all their retail cash, all their savings and all their family's money into this black hole of accounts, was faced with a situation whereby they knew, because in previous occasions they'd raised their hand to the post office and the post office had just said, pay up or you'll lose your job, or we're going to take this amount out of your salary, don't do it again or you'll lose your job. They knew if they put their hand up with another deficit, they'd lose their job. They'd lose their business. They'd lose their livelihood in which they'd invested their entire savings. They would be out on their ear uh, it, it, having lost a grip of the only asset they had. And so what they did was that they agreed the deficits that the Horizon computer system was throwing up by 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 rolling over their accounts and essentially signing, the, well, digitally signing them off um, without having the corresponding amount of cash and stock in their actual safe. Now, that was what the post office called false accounting. And to ensure that they managed to convict people for false accounting, they would often prosecute sub-postmasters for theft and false accounting. Now, theft is considered a much more serious offence for which you are much more likely to go to jail. Despite having no evidence of theft, they would pr prosecute people for theft and then offer to drop the theft charge if the postmaster pleaded guilty to false accounting. Now, by this stage, you had people who were absolutely terrified, pillars of the community who'd never set foot in a court before, faced with the prospect of going to prison. And their lawyers would say, look, the post office has probably got enough to make this stick on you. If you don't plead guilty to this, they're going to keep the theft charge. And I can't promise you won't go to jail. So sub-postmasters found themselves pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit simply because they wanted to avoid being sent to prison. Some of them it didn't actually help. Yeah, they but, still got sent to prison. But many of, many of them avoided prison and got suspended sentences because of their guilty plea. But then when, by that, you know, they are in such a, such a psychological hole 
um, that they didn't consider what might happen to them once they pleaded guilty to to a criminal offence because at the time it seemed like a better option. And and you and I look at this and think, who who would ever plead guilty to something they hadn't done when they knew they hadn't stole the money? But of course, the, the pressure on them and imagining you were the only one uh, must have been uh, outrageous. But it, here's the point. Uh, you know, um, I, I'm a, I'm a sub-postmaster, uh, £10,000 missing. Um, I'm taken to court by the post office, and I say to the judge, okay, I didn't steal this. Must be a problem with the computer system. Um, I, I want that uh, brought in and, and, and investigated as part of the, uh, of, of, of the uh, whole procedure. What happens to me? Well, that was the... Uh, perspective taken by a sub-postmaster called Lee Castleton, who was um, threatened with prosecution and eventually sued uh, through the civil courts for this missing £25,000 in, in his accounts. And poor old Lee didn't have any representation, and he tried to lay out his case that there was something wrong with the, the system. The post office provided expert witnesses from Fujitsu who said, nah, there's nothing wrong with the system here. Yes, but and the judge, Andrew Rice-Davis would say they would, wouldn't they? Yeah, but, but the judge was convinced enough by the arguments that the post office put forward and its expert witnesses put forward to say, no, Mr. Castleton, I'm afraid that um, I have been sufficiently proven under this legal presumption that machines, uh, if they seem to be accurate, are Unpack accurate. That one, yeah, that's okay, all right. Fabulous. That, so that's this, anecdotal and brilliant. This is a legal presumption that was adopted by the Law Commission in the late nineties, which perfectly coincided with the rollout of Horizon, which came about when um, there were various um, people caught speeding and uh, over the limit, who were contesting their breathalyzer tests and contesting their uh, speed gun. Uh, readings by saying, well, how do you know that that speed gun was working accurately at the time it took me going six miles over the limit? Or how do you know that the breathalyzer was actually an accurate piece of kit? And uh, it was seen at the time by the authorities as a legal loophole that needed to be closed. And so it, it came up with this utterly wrong-headed uh, formulation, which took uh, a, a law out of the... Um, Police and Criminal Evidence Act, I think 1986, uh, which required uh, the prosecuting authorities to demonstrate that their technology was working at the time that it was being uh, used uh, to provide evidence, and instead replaced it with a legal presumption that machines which seem to be working accurately and have been working accurately are working accurately at the time of any alleged offence. So they were applying... Uh, concepts designed to deal with breathalyzers and speed guns to these massive sprawling networked ecosystems of IT which were being introduced all around the world uh, at the time when we know for a fact that there is a vast amount of difference between the largest non-military IT system in Europe and a speed gun. But that is the legal presumption under which the courts continue to operate. And so it allowed the post office to go, well, it works 99% of the time. And here are a Fujitsu engineer to say, no, 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 it was absolutely working fine in this case because it's been demonstrated to be working fine in all these other branches. So it was, you know, just this postmaster that was having a problem. Therefore, it's not the IT system. And the courts were... Shouldn't the courts have done better? Almost mandated to accept it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when Seema Misra was prosecuted in 2010... 
they actually got her trial stayed because of a Computer Weekly article in 2009, which suggested that uh, the Horizon IT system wasn't all that. And the judge allowed her defense team to bring in a forensic uh, IT specialist who was given a budget to forensically examine the Horizon IT system. And what became, I've read the transcripts of that particular case, what became abundantly evident from day one was that the post office was not giving this IT expert the information he needed to make a concluded decision about what was happening in Seema Misra's branch or what was happening with the IT system. He was fighting for months upon months upon months in a war of attrition to ask the right question that would release the information. Even when it got to 2018, the post office was denying that Horizon had an error log. So when the postmasters took there the post office to the high court... There is a computer system in the world that doesn't have an error log. And this is something that was made clear in the eventual high court judgment. But when 555 sub-postmasters took the post office to the high court and asked for the error log of the Horizon IT system, the post office said it didn't exist. So the uh, claimants turned around and said, well, of course it exists. Every IT system has an error log. The post office said, well, we don't see how it's relevant to this case. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the case was how efficacious is the IT system. But the post office fought tooth and nail even when they were bound to rights. They were were doing these legal dodges to try and escape their responsibilities, even when... It was clear, and even judges had handed down. Well, you, you, your your um, best judge had handed down his uh, his his judgments. It, it was engaged. It was engaged in a corporate cover up. It was engaged in a corporate cover up. It knew in 2013, or certainly by 2014, that it had in, prosecuted some sub postmasters with evidence that was not safe, and it chose to keep that secret. And it chose to try to defend. Should people go to prison for that? Well, I mean, there are two barristers who've made a very cogent case for this being a conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. So yeah. so there is an ongoing police investigation into what happened after the uh, case concluded in 2019 at the High Court. The judge, in a highly dramatic moment, said, right, that's the end of the civil case. I have been um, so concerned by the evidence that has been provided by Fujitsu engineers to people like Lee Castleton and Seema Misra uh, that I am referring a case to the Director of Public Prosecutions and he can choose to do what he wants with it. The DPP referred it to the Metropolitan Police. And since January 2020, we've had a very, very slow-burning police investigation into who did what when, uh, which hasn't resulted in any criminal charges whatsoever. It's been 20 years since the beginning of this, since Horizon was introduced to uh, about now, uh, not least through your uh, personal uh, activities and journalism the story has come out, and they have got uh, judgments. Uh, oh, the sub-postmasters have got judgments in court. Is the outcome satisfactory? Well, the truth and the scale of it has finally come out. I remember in 2020, uh, so this was after 555 uh, sub-postmasters had taken the post office to court and won. So the story had essentially broken. A very clever and forensic high court judge had sided wholly with them and said, yes, there is something very, very wrong here in the, in the post office. Of those 555, we were only aware of 74 people who had criminal prosecutions. And we had no reason to disbelieve that that was the scale of it. There were, there were a clear percentage of people who'd been sacked and suspended and, and suffered financial uh, damages as, as a result of what the post office had done to them. And then a further 74 had been criminally prosecuted. Post office put out a press release in early 2020, saying that they were doing what they could to um, uh, you know, examine where things had gone wrong and make the, the, the relevant recommendations and restitutions to those 
who uh, may now think about um, wanting to take their criminal prosecutions to the Court of Appeal. And there was just two, two words in this press release. It said, those who took the post office to court and others. And I thought, what others? So I wrote to the post office and said, what do you mean other cases, other, other criminal cases? And they eventually got back to me saying, yeah, we're looking at another 500. And, the, cow. and that was, that was the, the sort of the biggest revelation to me of this entire story. It suddenly became a scandal you can see from space. The post office had been criminally prosecuting hundreds of people on IT evidence. And that wasn't even the true figure. It, it eventually came out of this 706 number. But I just remember looking at this response that I'd got from uh, the, the post office information unit, thinking, oh my God, this, is, this, is, this blows the door off. And, and that didn't even come out until... 2020. So this, so starting to talk about satisfactory resolution. I mean, I don't think we've properly got to the bottom of this. Mm -hmm. And and you know, there are many more trees that need to be pulled up and rocks that need to be looked under by the um, ongoing statutory inquiry uh, before anything about this can be said to be satisfactory. There are still no people who've had their convictions overturned, and the first convictions were overturned again at the end of 2020 who've had full and final compensation for what happened to them. Well, I was going to ask about that. The, the damage to the post office's reputation is incalculable. But what about the money? How much is this going to wind up costing? Well, north of a billion quid, because the government uh, has already put aside that amount of money specifically for compensation. Um, however, the negotiations between the post office and the various legal representatives of the sub-postmasters have been protracted, which is why they haven't been resolved. And uh, to give you a little bit of breaking news, uh, the day we are recording this podcast, the post office and uh, one of the leading uh, solicitors representing sub-postmasters have agreed that an independent judge will now do start the process of evaluating the um, costs of damages, non-pecuniary losses to the sub-postmasters over the course of uh, their, their false uh, convictions. So that what that means is the post office and the legal representatives for the sub-postmasters were, to quote the, a recent letter, poles apart on what their assessment of the damages should be. And by way of sort of woolly example, many sub-postmasters are claiming six figures, seven figures Quite worth right. compensation. Quite I mean, right. You cannot compensate somebody for being sent to prison. Uh, or, or the years died, lost, or just the years lost reputation. with this cloud hanging over them and the lack of financial prospects they had, or the lack of life prospects they had, as well, the, the ill health, the, the mental, mental anguish. Health, yeah. yeah. So they're claiming six or seven figures, and the post office is 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 offering five figures. Still, the post uh, office is still well. They have no choice because it's only government money. But they they should be holding their hands up. But now what they're doing is they're applying all sorts of public interest tests and taxpayer, you know, we have to be careful because we're guardians of the public money. It's still, it's still, you know, you can understand how the Treasury is saying we don't want you to just to chuck money at sub-postmasters. We want this to be done carefully. But carefully means slowly. If it was me, I would be livid. I would be... Absolutely. But the way this system works in this country, postmasters are effectively just waiting. There. And and the the Neil Hudgel, who is the... Um, Executive Chairman of Hudgel Solicitors. I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago when we were seeing two more of his clients get their convictions quashed. And he is doing a very difficult job because he obviously has lots of people who are getting older, waiting for compensation, which they believed was going to come to them reasonably quickly. Um, got to keep them on board, but he's also got to continue this negotiation process with the post office who are offering peanuts and not allow 
that negotiation process to break down. So this latest development today, that there is going to now be someone independent who is going to make a decision on what the value of the various uh, non-pecuniary losses, so loss of reputation, loss of mental health, etc., should be applied to each uh, each each case in principle, which will hopefully then allow this compensation process to move forward. And it takes it out of the post office's hands. So someone now independent will say, yes, this is a several million pound non-pecuniary loss and this person deserves it. Um, so uh, this is this is snail's progress for so many people who've been waiting so long. And that is entirely the fault of the post office for, and the government who back them for engaging in a six-year cover-up about this. In 2013, the post office knew it had potential miscarriages of justice on its hands and it should have thrown its hand up and said, right, we need to deal with this Nine now. Nine years ago. Yes, it's shocking. And I mean, it goes, it gets worse because this wasn't even revealed to the postmasters in the High Court case. But back in 2010, after the Computer Weekly article surfaced, after the formation of the Justice for Sub-Postmasters Alliance was formed and after MPs started asking questions of the post office, it conducted its own internal report into its IT systems. And it was written by a chap called Rod Ismay who uh, sought assurances from Fujitsu. Fujitsu told him that there was nothing wrong with the Horizon system. He wrote in this report, well, if we did an internal investigation into the Horizon system, it would only be for the comfort of others because we know our system is working. And if we did do this internal investigation, we would have to inform the MPs, we would have to inform the courts, we would have to stop our prosecutions, and we would have to look at our previous prosecutions. And the managing director at the time as I, I very rarely come to a settled view as to what I would do if I was in various executives' positions at Fujitsu or the post office or the government or a minister at the time, because I wasn't in their shoes and I don't know how I would react to the information that I was getting. But that report went to the board of the post office. It went to the head of criminal prosecutions at the post office. It went to the head of security at the post office. And I would have thought that if I was managing director of an organization that might have potentially been responsible for one single miscarriage of justice, I would have crawled over broken glass and pulled up every single tree stump in the forest to find out whether or not that was the case. And if it was the case, I would say, right, all bets are off. We need to root and branch this. But they chose not to based on this internal report which suggested that everything was fine with the Horizon system and anything else would just be for the comfort of others. They swallowed that. And I just, I would, I would like to think that if I was in that managing director's position, I would have gone, no, we really do need to find out so that we know. Because if we don't know, then we could be responsible for miscarriages of justice. So that was 2010, and the, and the, 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 the post office's prosecution spree was in full swing still. It wasn't until 2013 that they confirmed that they had potential miscarriages of justice on their hands, and they didn't admit it in public until gone 2019. It is a shocking and uh, terrifying story. And I thought an absolutely excellent book. Nick, thank you very much. My pleasure. So that is The Great Post Office Scandal by Nick Wallace, uh, which is published by Bath Publishing at £25. Although it sounds as though there's certainly going to be a second edition at some point. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much. My pleasure. That was Books Podcast, presented by Tim Hay. Books Podcast is a Green Shoot production. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.